Is it a fight? Yes, but Jesus told us, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith because you now have at the right hands of the Father an advocate, an intercessor, a lawyer, a surety, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who will fight for you through every battle if you just give him, if you give him your heart. Is your body falling apart? If you're losing your mother to cancer, you need her to be healed. You know what you need? You need the gift of faith. Extend yourself. Push past the barriers. Believe God with all your heart and push into that area where only God can take you. And when you do that, then the gift of faith will take you the rest of the way and you'll see a miracle. Welcome to the Faith for Today broadcast, brought to you by John 316 Christian Center. Today's podcast is a tag team message with Pastors Wayne and Marianne Berry. The way things are going on in the world today, this is a message that all Christians need to hear. Restoring your spiritual zeal. Well, today we want to talk about restoring your spiritual zeal. Now, what does the word zeal mean? It comes from two words, uh, two different perspectives. That is, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews word for the word zeal is kinah, Q-I-N-A-H. And that means jealously envious. Jealously envious. The Greek word for the word zeal is zealous, Z-E-L-O-S, meaning a hot, say hot. Now say it like you're hot. Hot. Say it like, oh, it's really hot. (laughs) Okay. Now you're getting it. It's a hot, fervent mindset. A hot, fervent mindset. Now think about it. That's, That's talking about how you think. How you think and rationalize thought. It's a hot, fervent mindset. Jealously envy. Emulation a, is to have a warmth of feeling for or against something. For or against something. Have you ever heard the term, I'm on fire for Jesus Christ? Well, that term is referring to having a zealous attitude for Jesus Christ. God wants us to be on fire. Amen? Amen? Now, if something is on fire and you get too close to it, do you feel the heat? <laughs> huh? If something is on fire and it's really like an inferno, do you, in other words, do you watch how close you get? In other, words, you, in other words, you stay away a little bit because it's so hot. It might get on to me. Amen? If there's a big bonfire. Well, that's how God wants people people to respond to us when we walk down the street, when we walk down the aisle in the grocery store, that they feel the heat. They feel the heat. Say that. They feel the heat. That's what God wants them to feel. He wants them to know they just walked by a child of God. Without a question of doubt, that is a child of God because they're on fire. In Psalm 69, verse 9 from the Living Bible, it says, 
My zeal for God and His work burns hot within me. In other words, the mindset of the individual is so in tune with the things of God that my heart for that, it is so tremendous that I'm literally on fire for it. Galatians 4.18 says, and this is the Apostle Paul saying this, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. Now here the Apostle Paul is saying to us that it's a good thing to be affected and be on fire for the things of God. It's not odd or abnormal. And I think when you look at the body of Christ a lot of times, and you look at some people, that when you finally do see someone who is on fire in the group, people could tend to look at them as strange and weirdos. Right? Now, in actuality, what the scriptures are telling us is, that's the Christian, not the others that are being critical of the one that's on fire. What we should do is when we find someone who's on fire for Jesus Christ, is get over and get next to them so much that that fire will get onto us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Have you ever come to church when you've been a miserable puke? All right? <laughs> and you cut it in the aisle with someone next to you, and all of a sudden they're on fire and you're not. Before you know it, some of their fire got onto you. Amen. The next thing you know, you're clapping your hands and you're shouting and you're getting into the things of God, but you didn't feel that when you first walked into the church. But now you do. That's because the fire has got onto you. Somebody's fire got onto you. Someone came with the fire. You didn't come with the fire. God wants us to be on fire for God. He wants us to come to church on fire, not to come and get on fire. Are you getting the point? We should be on fire. What does it say here in Galatians? Always. We should always be on fire. We should never let the fire go out. For something to be on fire means you have to keep fueling it. Because like any fire, the fire will burn up the fuel. When the fuel is all burnt up, guess what? The fire goes out. Huh? Isn't that true? Any campfire, you build the fire. If you don't put no more wood on the fire, guess what? The fire goes down, 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 down. Before you know it, you look, you don't see any flames. Maybe there's some ashes in there and you can see some, you fool around with it a little bit and there's some little sparks. If you want the fire back, you can put some fuel on the sparks so the sparks will take the fuel and the fire will come back. Amen? Some of us Christians need to be refueled. That's what's going to happen to you today. Today you're going to be refueled. Before you leave this place, you're going to be on fire for God. All right? So if you came in and you felt like maybe the fire is dwindling, maybe there's still a flame, but it's nothing more than the flame on a candle. Huh? You really can't burn up much with a flame on a candle. All right? You're going to need some fuel. But God wants to fuel your fire. And once you get the fuel of the fire and you start burning and you're on fire and now you're hot, okay, once you're hot again, now you are going to have to fuel your own fire. Keep the fire burning. Amen? Turn to someone and say, keep your fire burning. Now here in Galatians chapter 6, what we find is, 
in our, in our evaluation of Christians across the board. Now, what, we're what you're going to talk about today is not only relative to us in this church. It's a relative to the universal body of believers, Christians across the board, around the world, and especially in this country. Because I see a lot of things go happening around the world that are, are fire things. People are burning for Jesus Christ in other parts of the world. But in this country, it seems like the burning heart's desire for Christianity and the things of Jesus Christ, the fire is dwindling. And that's not the way things have always been in the United States. Many missionaries have come out of this country. In fact, we have been the centerpiece of missions for the world for a long, long time because we fueled missions. And we fueled those missions to go out into countries around the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and get people born again. That's what we've done throughout the years since this, since this country began. But now we are in a time when it doesn't seem to be that important anymore in the church. There are many churches who hardly have enough money or fuel left, so to speak, to just to keep themselves alive, say nothing about fueling somebody else's fire. Amen? Amen? This is the truth. This is the truth. And why? Why has it come to this? Because Christians within the churches didn't keep the fire burning. Religion's not going to do it. Religion doesn't have no fire. Religion gets in the way of fire. In fact, religion puts fires out. That's what it is. Religion is nothing more than what they call a wet blanket. If you take a fire and you have a fire burning, you want to put the fire out, take a wet blanket, throw it on the fire, and that fire is out. It takes all the oxygen away, and that fire completely goes out instantly. That's what religion does. Religion will instantly put fire out. Whenever fire gets going within the group of people and this fire starts to come down from heaven and touches someone's heart and they get on fire for God and they're excited, guess what? So there's some religious wet, wet blanket nearby that's going to put that fire out real quick. We've got we to stop this. We all got to burn and be burning for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. For what he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. You know what that word corruption means? It means death. But more than death, you know what it really means? Rot. It's after death. What happens after death? The rotting away. The deterioration. The literally annihilation of any evidence whatsoever. Shall reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap, what? Life everlasting. So what we have to do is we have, what we're seeing here is, is for the Christian, a Christian has to make a choice, a decision. Am I going to sow most of my time into the things of the Spirit, or am I going to sow most of my time into the things of the flesh? Look, we're living in a flesh world. We have to go to work every day. We have to make money to pay the bills, don't we? We can't get away from it. It would be wonderful if we could just tip through the tulips for the rest of our life. Isn't that true? And never bother to worry about it no more. The fact of the matter is, that's, the not, the, that's not the reality of life, is it? 
We, <laughs> we have to go to work. We have to drive our cars. Many of us commute and have to commute many miles to get to work. We have to go through all these different things, don't we? And when we come home, we got problems. How many, how many people got problems? Huh? Put your hand up. There's not a person in this room who does not have a problem. <laughs> You're dealing with something. Amen? Isn't that right? And what we find is, is that those, those somethings are stealing our fire. Those somethings are taking our fire. And sometimes it's a little something. It takes a little bit of fire. And the fire goes down a little bit. And then this little something takes, takes the fire down a little bit. And before you know it, all these things have taken the fire down a lot. Isn't that right? That's the things of the natural. If you, if you listen to the news every day, all right, if you get tied up in the things that are going on in the news reports, it will steal your fire. It will. It's discouraging. And you know what? They want it to be discouraging because for some odd reason, the human nature <laughs> loves negative news. They want to hear, you want to hear about, and even in the church, people want to hear about someone's marriage breaking up. They love that. Give, tell me more, tell me more. What's going on with them? What's happening with them? It's always the way it's been. It's not going to change. I don't care what preacher stands up and says, you shouldn't be doing that stuff and knock it off. I don't care if it's going to happen whether he likes it or not. That's the way that it is in the church. People do these things. It's human nature to want more negative news. That's the rottingness of our spiritual nature. If you don't come against the flesh, if you don't fight against the flesh, the flesh will draw you into corruption. And it'll do it, how many times? Every time. There's not a Christian, there's not a Christian in this room right now who, who wants not to have fire. Don't you all want fire? When we read these scriptures that we should be burning and we should be hot for Jesus Christ, don't you want to be hot? The reason why when we see a Christian who is literally hot for Jesus and they seem to be repulsive is because it makes us feel condemned. Because we know that's how we should be. And why ain't I that way? I want to be that way. <laughs> Verse 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. What happens with many Christians is, it's not that we are literally out trying to do the wrong thing. We're trying hard to do the right thing. And many times we come to church because you know why? It's the right thing to do. Is it the right thing? Yes, yes it is. It's the right thing to do. But because you come to church and you're doing the right thing, that doesn't mean you've got hot, zealous fire burning in you. God wants that to stop. He wants us to come to church on fire. 
And he wants to know that you're willing and desirous to be on fire and never let the fire go out. Say that. Never let the fire go out. That means no matter what the devil tries to throw into your lap, no matter what he tries to do with your family, with your job, take your job away, you know what? If you lose your job, guess what? Your job doesn't supply your need. He does. Well, I don't want to know why he's going to bring it. How, how can I know why he's going to feed me? What, does he get? what do you care? What do you care whether it falls out of heaven from a tree, a groundhog brings it and puts it on your doorstep, whatever, it doesn't make any difference. He supplies all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Isn't that right? Do we believe that? See, the test comes when it's, take, when it's taken away, when Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, when that happens, what do you do? <laughs> oh! What happens is you lose the fire. The fire is taken with it. This fire we're talking about is not natural fire. This is spiritual fire. It's fire that comes because you know who you are in Christ Jesus. And you're not going to let no devil, power, or principality steal your fire. Now, how many have ever felt the fire of God? Doesn't it feel good? How many of you know when the fire's gone? Now, why'd the fire go? Why did the fire go? I'll tell you a little story from the scriptures. I want you to listen to this story and see if it isn't relative to you. Turn to Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul would you see he was a great man of God? Yes. Do you realize that most of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul? This man was an incredibly intelligent individual. And he was also greatly anointed of the Holy Spirit. But the Apostle Paul got tired. He got tired. Now, what we're about to read is the account after his third missionary journey. There were three different missionary journeys that Paul went out on. The first one was a short missionary journey through basically Asia Minor. And then he went back to Jerusalem and they sent uh, Barnabas and Paul and they sent him apart to go do a great work. And then he went through an entire second missionary journey, went through all up through Asia, Turkey, uh, what's present day Turkey and Greece, northern Greece, Athens, the whole area. All right? And all those different islands and different seaports all along the way. And he'd stop and he'd preach the word of God. Now back in those days, they didn't have buses and planes and trains and all that kind of stuff. All right? You either walked or took a boat. That's it. So most of it was walking. And a lot of walking. Huh? And he walked hundreds and hundreds of miles. And he'd go from town to town, city to city. And every city and town he went into, guess what? They wanted to kill him. They wanted to beat him. He, he came close to being stoned to death three times. They beat him and whipped him with chains. They threw him in prisons, in inner prisons, in the dark, dark dungeons. They, they tortured him. They did all kinds of stuff. They wanted this man dead. I mean, how would you feel if everywhere you went, everybody 
hated you. Huh? Did you ever feel like no matter what you do, people don't like me? Sometimes don't you feel that way with your own family? People you figure, what well, they should like me. And you find out, <laughs> they don't like you either. <laughs> Nobody likes you. All right? Well, this man was extremely abused. And not only did they tell you, I don't like you, they wanted to kill him. He was on his third missionary journey, and he was wrapping it up. He was in, he was in Greece, and he was on his way home. He was leaving Greece and was homesick for Jerusalem. Acts chapter 20. Acts 20. We're going to start with verse 15. And we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and, tri and tarried at Trigilium. And the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for, listen to this, he hasted, if it were possible, for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. In other words, if you had a map here, can you visualize the Mediterranean? All right? You know where Jerusalem is, and then north is Turkey, and then there's Greece, Okay? He's, he's finishing up his third missionary journey in Athens, and he decides, I'm going home. Now, what he did is he went from port to port to port, all the way along, down through the islands, down through, until he finally got back down to Jerusalem. All right? So this was not a quick journey. This was going to take some time. And he had to go on a frigate filled with all kinds of goods. And that's the way they traveled back then. They just jumped on board the boat, and they would ride the boat down to each port. And when he finally got to the place where the, he got the unload, well, that was it. That was the end of your ride. For the rest of the, rest of the time, you're going to have to walk the rest of the way. Well, along this little journey that he went, we're going to see some of the things that were said and done and, and told to Paul. And they're going to be relative to you if, you if you put yourself in his shoes and see how your life has been since you've been born again, how, life, how your life has been going since you became, uh, became a Christian. He hasted to be in Jerusalem for Pentecost. Why did he want to be there? The Apostle Paul remembered, like you and I, many times re we remember and bring back to our remembrance the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was the time when the Holy Spirit came. The Apostle Paul was teaching the new brethren. No longer does the Spirit of God dwell in Jerusalem. But now he is in, literally lives and abides and dwells within the hearts of the believer. This was the teachings of Paul. Yet, there was something about Jerusalem. Till this day, there is something about Jerusalem. The temple even isn't there anymore. There's the wailing wall. That's not even the wall of the temple. That's just the wall closest to where the temple was. There's something about Jerusalem. When you're a Jew, what you think about is the holy city. The temple mount. That's where your heart is. 
There was a heart burning desire in his heart at that point. After all these missionary journeys of being abused so many times, he wanted to be in Jerusalem. He wanted to go home. Verse 17. From Miletus we sent sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day I came to Asia, after what manner I have been with you in all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with, listen to this, many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Who was his problem? Jews. Jews was his problem. Was the Apostle Paul a Jew? He was getting most of his persecution, not from Gentiles, not from lost people, but from his own kind. We as born-again Christians, many times what we find is the greatest amount of persecution comes from our own family. People that have been close to us our whole life. They give us the biggest bunch of junk. How many? Tears and temptations. That means the Apostle Paul cried. He wept over the fact that he was constantly being mistreated. Because it says here, the Jews lied in wait. That means they set ambushes for him to step into so that they could discredit him and jump on him and destroy him. I'm telling you something. I see something in the body of Christ that makes me sick. And that's what it is, is this. When some preacher or somebody in the body of Christ fails and falls on his face and does something stupid like sleep with his secretary, guess what they want to do? Get a rope and kill this guy. Yes, he should lose his pastorship. But he's a Christian. He's our brother. We should be praying for him. Helping him to be restored back into the fold. Maybe he can never be a leader again. That's true. I think there's, a, I think there's repercussions for every decision we make. And when we do something wrong, we should have to pay the penalty. But he should not be murdered, destroyed, ripped apart by his own kind. This is what the Jews were doing to Paul. They were ripping him apart, destroying their own brother. Verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. Go bound how? That means, in Paul's mind, he felt, I have no choice. God is pulling me to Jerusalem and I have to go how many times have you had a perception about God and you found out later that you were dead wrong huh how many people have said oh God told me huh I don't know how many people told me that God told me passed away and I said oh yeah God told you that you be careful will you say When you say, God told you, you better be darn sure God told you that. 
Apostle Paul, Paul felt that he was being tugged to Jerusalem by the Holy Spirit. We're going to find in a minute that that was not necessarily the case. Verse 23. Save the Holy Ghost, witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Ever had someone come to you and prophesy? Tell you something? God told me to tell you this. Huh? A lot of times you listen to that stuff and you just say, you just toss it away. But what we just read was that Paul felt this in his heart. And then what were the people telling him? In every city he stopped, in every port city on his way back to Jerusalem, people were coming to tell him, Paul, bonds and afflictions are awaiting you in Jerusalem. Sometimes we don't know enough to listen. Verse 25. In fact, any prophecy ever spoken to you is going to only confirm what you already know in your own heart. All right? What did, this, what did this basically do? It confirmed what Paul already knew. Did it stop him? No, the fool kept going. <laughs> he kept right on going. He kept right on heading toward Jerusalem. Verse 25. And now behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. What that's basically saying is this. No matter what people say about me, I am not guilty of one wrong thing. I did it with a pure heart. I, pro I projected and gave the scriptures and the word of God from a pure heart. And what I said was done because God told me to say it. And if there's any blood here, it's not on me. Any blood here, there's not on me. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. In other words, what he said there, in other words, even if it's something that you didn't want to hear, I said it anyway. If you didn't want to hear it, too bad. If God told me to tell you, I'm going to tell you. How many times does a pastor go to stand up and hear and tell you things you don't want to hear? Huh? And when you don't want to hear it, what do you want to do? You want to string up the pastor. Yeah, there's a lot of Christians who just leave the church and never come back again. I'm not going back to that church. I don't like the messages that guy says. I think Pastor Wayne is mean. Look at verse 37. And they all wept and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrow, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. See, Apostle Paul knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem. He knew in his heart first, and now he was being told in every port city. He knew where he was going. It was over for him. Did it have to be over for the Apostle Paul? Could he have gone and done something else besides go to Jerusalem? Huh? Are we sometimes persistent in our direction when God is persistently telling us, don't do this, you stupid fool, stop, go another way? Huh? Huh? How many have just been persistent? Huh? Just ignoring, 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 ignoring the voice of God. If God can't tell you through this person, he'll tell you through that person. He had to tell, uh, not Naaman, I can't think of his guy's right name, but uh, the prophet, and finally, he had to use a mule, a donkey, and tell him, you don't want to do this, you don't want to do this, go home, go home, go home. <laughs> 
Sometimes we won't listen. Look at chapter 21, verse 3. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left on the left-hand side and sailed into Syria, landing in Tyre. For there the ship was to uh, unlaid her burden. In other words, that was the port city. That's where they were going to take all that stuff off. Now Tyre and Sidon are actually in Lebanon today. And, and there's those cities... Uh, is where, if you remember the story about Jesus going to the woman of Sychar, she was a Syrophoenician woman, there he, she, he healed her daughter, all right? Well, he walked 65 miles from the tip of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, up to Tyre and Sidon to do this one miracle for this one lady and walked all the way back. That's 120 miles. Well, if you add the distance from where that is to Jerusalem, you add another 60 miles, so you're talking about, about 120 miles one way from Tyre. Now, from get there, he's going to have to walk. That means from that port city, the Apostle Paul would have to walk 120 miles by foot to get to Jerusalem. Getting the picture here? I'm painting this picture because I want you to see, you know, what it takes to be stupid. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of energy to be stupid. It really does. And finding disciples, he tarried there for seven days and said to Paul, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. What were they saying to him now? He's now in Israel, so to speak, almost there. All right? And what are they telling him? Don't go to Jerusalem. All right? Don't go to Jerusalem. Verse 8. And the next day we were at Paul's company, departed, came to Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist, in which was one of the seven, abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, and did, not, and did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was coming to the, us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Lord of saith the Holy Ghost. So shall the Jews in Jerusalem bind the man who owneth this girdle and shall deliver him unto the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard, when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Was he being warned again? Agabus came and demonstrated him, physically demonstrating, put on a show. All right? So it just wasn't words now. Now he literally took and bound himself up. He said, this is what's going to happen to you, Paul. And what we say here is that even the people now that were finally with Paul, even at that point, after all of these words had been said from port city to port city to port city, all the way down through here, they finally get to this point where Agabus stood up and said this, then even they joined in with everybody else and said, Paul, don't do this. Don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. Was God trying to get a message across to Paul? Huh? Would you say God definitely did his part? Huh? If he only did it once, you could say, well, you know, he could have helped, you know, repeat himself. Did he repeat himself? He repeated himself again and again and again and again through every person he could get a hold of to try to show this man, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. God does that with us a lot of times. We don't bother to listen. 
And we finally do the stupid thing we're going to do. And guess what? Oh, God, why did you let this happen? Uh, don't you think if you were God, like, you stupid little... <laughs> what does it take? <laughs> God, God tries to reach us. We've got to listen. Paul answered, What meaning to weep, to break my heart this way? For I am ready to not only be bound only, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't that sound admirable? Huh? I'm ready to die for Jesus. But you don't have to die, you idiot. You don't have to die. <laughs> Just because you think that's admirable doesn't mean that that's right. That that's intelligent. Sometimes what we're finding here, if you look at this whole story and you go back in the scriptures and actually analyze this whole thing, what you'll find is that when you lose your spiritual zeal and fire, you will do stupid things. When you lose your spiritual zeal and fire, you won't really be able to understand what God's trying to say to you. You will be, you'll be so determined in a direction that you will think that that's what God wants for you. Is it quite obvious to us reading this that that is not what God wanted for Paul? When we look at the whole history here, we find out that he went to Rome as a prisoner. Could he have gone to Rome without being a prisoner? In fact, was he not a Roman? When, they, when he finally captured him and he finally says, I'm a Roman, are you supposed to whip a Roman? And they stopped, hey, we're not going to whip this guy. Huh? He was a Roman. Could he have gone to Rome? By himself? Did he have a right to be in Rome? He was a Roman. He could be in Rome. He had a right to be there. He was a citizen of Rome. That means he could have gone to Rome without being in chains. Did he end up in Rome anyway? God will take you to where you're going to go any way he's got to get you there. And in this case, even dragging your miserable hide to Rome. Sometimes, don't you feel like sometimes that, you know what, that's what you are, nothing but a miserable hide? Huh? That, you know what, God had to do all this stuff to finally get you to wake up. Let's say God had to do all this stuff. You did this stuff to yourself. But what he'll do is he'll turn it around. He'll turn things around in your life. Despite you. Despite your stupidness. Verse 17. And when we came to the Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day followed Paul went into, in with us into James, and all the elders were present. And we had saluted them. He declared particularly that the things that God had brought unto Gentiles by his ministry. Now, when it come at that time, you've got to think about this for a second. First of all, the Apostle Paul was a Jew. As I said already, Jerusalem was the centerpiece for the Jewish people. <coughs> However, for Christianity, Jerusalem was the centerpiece for Christianity. It is where the Holy Spirit came down. It is where the Holy Spirit filled the hearts of the believers. Even the Apostle Peter 
when he didn't think that it was for the, for the Gentiles. And they were called to uh, Cornelius' house. And he prayed. And guess what he saw? He, he saw the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles just like it fell on the Jews. And that's when he got the duh, great revelation. And he realized that this Holy Spirit is for all people who believe. And this is what Paul preached. This is what Paul preached. So what we find is that, G, that if you want to find the centerpiece of Christianity, see many people in this world think the centerpiece of Christianity is in Rome, the Vatican. <laughs> many, people, many Christians feel that way. That's the centerpiece of Christianity. That's not the centerpiece of Christianity. The centerpiece of Christianity for the people back then was Jerusalem, just like it was for the Jews. They wanted to be in Jerusalem. And there in Jerusalem, what do we have? We have the church fathers. And there the church fathers were assembled. And guess what? Paul came into Jerusalem, and what did the fathers do? They came together in one meeting because they wanted to hear all that Paul had accomplished in his third missionary journey. There were no telephones. There were no cell phones. There were no letters. Communication was done person to person, mouth to mouth, mouth to ear. They wanted to hear the whole story, everything. Not leave out one detail. They came together. Verse 20. And when they heard it, all that Paul had to say, they glorified the Lord. And said unto Paul, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands, say thousands. thousands. Is thousands a lot? Would you say thousands is more than a thousand? Huh? How many thousands of what? Say that again. Jews. One more time. Jews. How many thousands of Jews? Not Gentiles. There in Jerusalem, the founding fathers, they were telling Paul, do you see, brethren, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe? We're talking about Jewish Believers who are believers in Christ Jesus, who gave their heart to Christ Jesus. How many thousands of Jews that are now believers? And they, these thousands of Jewish believers, are all zealous. What's zealous? Hot. They were hot. On fire, they were burning hot for what? The law. The law. What did Paul teach in Galatians? He teaches about grace. Unmerited favor. By grace are ye saved. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's what he preached. The apostle preached not the law. He preached grace. These teachings are here today for us to see. Is the law bad? Look at the Romans chapter 7 and verse 9. And Romans 7 and, and, chapter 9, and chapter 9 as well. And you'll find that Paul doesn't say that the law is evil. The law is good. 
But we live by grace, unmerited favor. God's favor on our life. How that favor come? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that lives and abides and dwells within each one of us. He says, look here how many of these Jews, and they're all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee, Paul, that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. They've been hearing reports about Paul, that he's teaching against the law. He's teaching against law principles. And not only the law is he teaching against, he's teaching against Jewish customs. I'm telling you right now, this is religion. It's the power of religion. There's a lot of Christians in our country who are filled in with religion. If you ask them if they're born again, they believe in Jesus Christ? Oh, yes, definitely. But you know what? They got religion more than they got Jesus. And their religion is keeping them trapped. They're in their little bubble, and they have very little ability to move to the left or to the right. Things got to be exactly the way the religion says, or you're a dead man. You're a dead woman. I don't want nothing to do with you. This is what was happening in Jerusalem, the capital of Christendom. Do, therefore, this what we say to thee, verse 23. For we have four men which have a vow to them. Them take and purify thyself with them, and be a charge with them, that they may, be sha- that they, that they may shave their heads, and all may know that those things which thereof are informed concern thee are nothing. Are what? In other words, all those things you heard about me, I've heard about you, Paul, they're nothing. It's a nothing. But that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. Should we keep the law? See, if you're walking by grace, unmerited favor, you will automatically keep the law. You would never do something wrong to your brother. You would never say anything wrong against your sister. You would never do anything wrong. You would keep the law automatically. That thyself keepest the law. This was, a, this, was, this was a distortion view of, of the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul that I know of would have stood up and said something about this. But what did he do? Verse 26. The Apostle Paul took the men the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. Is this the Apostle Paul? I'm telling you what you will do is you will find is this. When you lose your spiritual zeal, when the fire goes out, you will begin to compromise what you believe. You will do it every time. You will compromise what you believe. It's so interesting that Paul wrote the book of Ephesians while in prison in Rome. Because if you read the whole story here, what you find is that when he went to do this, they just started having a fit, all the Jews. And who's having the fit? What we found out was these thousands of Jews that were now believers. These Jewish believers in Christ Jesus had an absolute conniptioned fit. Paul is bringing Gentiles into the temple. 
So they hauled him away. They hauled him to, to Rome. He was in a prison there. And while in prison, he writes the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, what does Paul teach? He teaches that we are one in Christ. That there is no such thing as Jewish believers and Gentile believers. That we are all one in Christ. What we find is, you see, is that it took being imprisoned for Paul to finally wake up and realize, I've been a fool. I've been an idiot. Now I've got a guard outside the door guarding my every move. I have no ability to move and mo motivate, so I can only sit here and write letters. That's all I can do. And he finally wakes up and tells the people, the Ephesians, and tells them, we are one in Christ. Get this out of your head. There's no such thing as a Jewish believer and a Gentile believer. We're believers. All of us together in one. Get this separate mentality out of the way. What does he do? He agrees to the stupidity there in Rome and shaves his head and goes in with them and to get a sacrifice. Every Christian, when the fire goes out, you'll begin to do religious stupidity. You'll begin to follow back to your old ways. You know how many Christians I've found that when they get tired of Christianity, what they'll do is they'll show up in their old church. They go right back. That's like a dog returning to its vomit. That was Jesus' terminology. It's like a dog returning to its vomit. You know better. You know better than to act that way. And you're doing it anyway. That is the epitome of stupidity. When you have tasted the good things of Christianity and you turn it away and go back to religious foolishness, that is the epitome of stupidity. Many Christians are compromising what they believe because others have a problem with what they believe. Yes. Pastor Marian. Let us stand. Don't you think, wouldn't it be nice if I just said, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Go home. All right, look at your neighbor and say, oh well, that's not what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, you can stand here right now and just say like, well, that was good enough. Why do we have to keep going? Because God said so, right? And because it's not 12 o'clock yet, so you can't be hungry yet. You may be seated. You know, not very often do we really do a tag team preaching like this, but when we do, we know it's something that God wants us to share with you. So what I'm going to do now is what Pastor Wayne did is he laid the foundation to basically tell you this. As a Christian, you can lose your zeal. Anybody in here ever lose their zeal? Let me see your hands. Look at the body of Christ today. There's a lot of Christians losing their zeal. Pastor Wayne and I talk with pastors all the time. There's pastors losing their zeal. There's pastors shutting down their churches. They're friends of ours. I received a call this past week, and this one pastor, he has, after seven years, 30 people. And he's saying, like, what happened? What am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? I says, you're not doing anything wrong. Keep doing what you're doing, and God will honor what you're doing. Now listen, 
Christians cannot keep going down the road we're on and expect allies to change. Expect the church to change. Expect this nation to change. Because if we don't start doing what we're supposed to be doing, our family's never going to change. This state is never going to change. You know how many people I've talked to in the state of New York that are saying, I'm moving. This state is too liberal. This state's going to hell. Here's the key. God puts something inside of every one of us that are living in the state of New York because he knows we have in us what it's going to take to turn this nation, this state, our family, back to Jesus Christ. He says, I'll never give you more than you can handle. So if we've been put into the state of New York, guess what? There's a reason we're here and we're not quitting. We're pressing ahead. See, we have to see this picture. Churches, and again, some of the things I'm going to say have nothing to do with John 3.16 because I know we're the perfect church. But if the shoe fits, wear it. Many churches have become what we call country club churches. What does that mean? You'll see people come through the doors. What programs do you offer? Do you have Christian Girl Scouts, Christian Boy Scouts? They'll go down the list. Whatever happened to the school of the Holy Ghost? And I'm not saying those things are bad. But if you're going to base where you go to church on a program, you are not being led by the Holy Spirit. What are you going to provide for my family? These are our needs. How are you going to meet them? I have bills to pay. I have places to see, people to meet. I need money. We just got a call this week. One person got kicked out of a house. They called here and they're, they're believing we're going to find them housing and we're going to pay their housing. We are not social services. We pay our tithes to God, right? This isn't a club. You know, if you go down to the Casper Kill Country Club and you pay your dues, you have privileges. I can use the golf course. I could do this. I could do that. You have privileges when you pay your tithes. We work with one another. We're there for one another. But the greatest privilege that you have is to hear this word and live it by faith. Because there may come a day where you cannot get us on a phone. There may come a day where there's nobody that can help you. But God gives us the principles. If I give, I shall receive. You can't put a price on the word of God because there's certain things you do and you're doing them because you know it's God. Not because you want to do it. Not because you feel like doing it. And if the body of Christ starts doing what we feel like doing, I'm telling you right now, we're not going to have a church because who's the church? We're the church. All right? The first thing we need to do is understand when it comes to tithing, the tithe belongs to the Lord. The tithe belongs to the Lord. I tithe because I love God. And no matter what I need, he supplies my needs. We don't pay God or a church to bless us. We pay our tithes because the word says so. The church is a living organism. You and I are the church. And we come here for one reason. We love God. And in that love, we don't want to discount Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the assembling of myself as the manner of some. You don't pick and choose. Well, let's see. 
third Sunday of the month. This is the Sunday I go to church. I don't do Thursdays, and I don't do windows. Now, the more you get of the word, the stronger you're going to be. And if we think it can't happen to us, I'm telling you, the word says that in the last days, even the elect are going to be deceived. And there's going to be a mighty falling away. People are going to start falling away. We're seeing it among our Christian friends. People you never thought would turn their back on God. And I'm going to tell you how real this religious spirit is. Pastor Wayne, we, we had this conversation, and he can't could not really understand what I was saying because he never really grew up in church. His family were not churchgoers. We were. My mother had us in church every Sunday, catechism, the book this thick. I probably could still recite the prayers. But there are times when I will go into a service in the church denomination that I came from, and I'll hear this voice. This is where you belong. You have left the true church. You have left God. Why are you wasting your time doing what you're doing? It's false. This is truth. See, that's a religious spirit. And I'll be sitting there going, because you can fall very well back into those traditions that you grew up with. And you can say, Pastor Marian, you must be a sinner. <laughs> no, that's how real a religious spirit is. Now, if that religious spirit would try to speak to me, what about somebody that just gets saved? What about somebody that just gets born again? Can you see why it's so important for us to have firm foundations in Christ, new believer classes, to teach them the word of God so that the devil cannot snatch them back? Huh? We come together because we love Jesus Christ and we need this food every week. Every, every day in our personal lives. But every week we need to hear this word from the pulpit. But see, when you come to church to get fed, see, the only one that's going to see your face is the pastor preaching and God. And we can tell who's getting injections. You know, it's like, this is why we tell you all the time, if it's hurting, just keep smiling. And nobody will ever know. God won't know. I won't know. Yeah, right, right? The people to your right and left won't know. But you cannot really get up and walk out. Well, Pastor Marian, I had to go to the restroom. We know that's a lie when you don't come back. You see the picture? We come because we love and respect God. Critical congregants, and we know again, they're not at John 3.16. Critical congregants seeking motivational talks in church. We are not the Oprah show. And we are not Dr. Phil. And we are not here to analyze you. We are here to speak the word of God. And you know the old saying? The truth hurts. Sometimes this word is going to hurt. But it's to change us, to grow us. If not, we're going to become complacent religious people. We're looking for a three-point sermon. And make sure you keep it short. Well, man, you don't get three-point sermons here. And today's service is extra long. So guess what? God must be speaking something. 
Coffee and donuts are in the lobby. And don't ask me to pay for them. Because remember, I pay my dues. My country club dues here. No Holy Ghost presence, no honor for God, no honor for the ministry, no honor for the church staff. Do you know the church staff needs more honor than anybody else? Because they're doing this and don't get paid a lot of money. You can say, well, I thought you took our money. I'm going to say this, because if you don't know it, you've never heard it, you're going to hear it here first. When a bigger tithe comes in on a Sunday than usual, Pastor Wayne and I cannot go home and say, huh, $1,000 extra. Sounds like new shoes to me. So for anybody in here that would think the money comes in and goes in our pocket, I'm telling you right now, that does not exist. Because our salary is set by a board. And that check is written out every week for the same amount it's written out every week. And that's why we have other people count the money instead of me and Pastor Wayne. Do you see that? So if that's ever thought, you know, what's gone through your mind, like, you can sleep tonight. You can sleep and know God is in control. Huh? You submit to authority. If we don't submit to authority, then we're in big trouble. No honor for ministry, for church staff, for each other to come into church and give somebody a snotty look. I'm better than you. Let me tell you something. You're on thin ice because what you sow is what you reap. We can be anointed. I said this on Thursday night. We can be anointed, and we are powerful men and women of God. But you can't do it with an attitude. God said Thursday night service was all about the humble heart. The humble heart. Do you know when I go places, I don't ever tell anybody what I do, who I am. I don't say nothing. But see, people will see the light in you. They'll know something's different about you. But you've got to keep the humble heart. Why don't we see salvations? Why don't we see more of the power of God? Why is the body of Christ losing their zeal? And I'm going to tell you this morning, the answer is very simple. We don't understand the Holy Ghost. We don't know the Holy Spirit. The majority of Christians today, when you talk to Christians across the board, they are bored, they are tired, they're just trying to get by, they're dealing with their own issues in life, they're dealing with sickness, they're dealing with poverty, they're dealing with fear. And you know why? We don't know the Holy Ghost. We don't pray. We don't speak in tongues. We do it like, you know, once in a while. It must be that third Sunday of the month again. I'm supposed to be praying in tongues. The more you pray in tongues, the more you are going to fill up your inner man with power and authority to fulfill everything God has called you to do. You got to get to know the Holy Ghost. Say that with me. You got to get to know the Holy Ghost. I'm going to let you do some repeating with me. Do you know why? I want to keep you awake. So take a deep breath. Now let it out. Now take another deep breath. Now let it out. Okay. Feel better? Say, I want to get to know the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the most intimate person of the Godhead. The most intimate. Three in one. How do you explain the Trinity? You can't. You can say it's like an egg. It has a shell. It has white. It has a yellow. That doesn't explain the Holy Spirit. 
that's only giving you an object lesson of what the Holy Spirit's like, you cannot explain the Holy Spirit. You believe it, you understand what the word says, but I'm telling you now, we can never explain the third person of the Godhead. He is a person. He is the third person of the Godhead, and he's the one that we least talk to. How many of you woke up this morning and said, good morning, Holy Spirit? Huh? Some of us did. How many of you through the day talk about, hey, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, he's the most intimate person of the Godhead, and we fail to acknowledge him. And you know what we got to understand? Everywhere we go, he goes. When you go into the supermarket, he goes shopping with you. Huh? When you go to bed, he goes to bed with you. When you go into a bar, he goes into the bar with you. But again, nobody here does that. When you read some magazine that you know you should not be reading, guess what? Is he reading with you? He's not. He's grieved. He's grieved. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Pastor Wayne, come here. Watch this. Is he my husband? I make him real aggravated one day. Is he still my husband? But I broke fellowship with him. I didn't break relationship with him. He's still my husband but I broke fellowship with him because what I said or did grieved him, right? But he's still my husband. The Holy Ghost is still in you. But you break the fellowship and you grieve him. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be grieved. When we do things that we know we shouldn't be doing, go in places where we shouldn't be, I've come to the point where I don't argue with people anymore. I say, you shouldn't be there. You want to go? Go. I'm not going to argue with you. One day you're going to have to stand before God and deal with God on where you take the Holy Ghost. Amen. Do you see the picture? You can't explain who he is. I know one thing, though. God the Father is omnipresent. He's everywhere. I know Jesus Christ, the Son, is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I know the Holy Spirit is in me. He's living in me. I'm carrying him every place I go. He's the most intense relationship I will ever have. He just happens to be the most intimate of the Godhead. The most intimate. Say that with me. The Holy Spirit is the most intimate of the Godhead. I need to get to know him. The Holy Spirit is not a symbol. He is not a symbol. He is not a river. Though he generates power like a river. He refreshes like a river. The Holy Spirit is not fire though he refines like fire. The Holy Spirit is not new wine, though he's sweet like new wine. The Holy Spirit is not oil, though he heals like oil. He's not a dove. When you got up this morning, you looked out the window and you heard, coo, coo, tweet, tweet. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. He's not a cloud. He's not a presence. All right. He's not goosebumps. He's not a sway. He's not a jerk. He's not a shout. He's not a dance. So when you see people come up and they're praying and they're going, that's the Holy Ghost. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's a reaction to the Holy Spirit. If I had two live wires here and I touched them, my hair would be spikier than it looks right now. It probably would grow spikier. See, it would be the reaction to the electricity. It would be the reaction to the electricity.
electricity, but it's not electricity. Reactions to the Holy Ghost. We need to get to know. Say with me. We need to get to know the Holy Ghost. All right? Sometimes the Holy Spirit will come in forms we don't expect. If you're lonely and you feel nobody cares about you, the Holy Spirit will come as this comforting mother. If you are fighting a battle, the Holy Spirit's not going to come as this comforting mother. He's going to come as the Lord God of hosts. He's going to come in forms that we need him to be. But what I want you to do is I want you to listen to this story. One day this pastor asked the Holy Spirit, what would you look like if you took on human form? The Holy Spirit responded, and this is a true story. If I took on human form, here's the way I would look. I would be a tall man, a small waist, broad shoulders, wearing a black tuxedo, very jet black hair, every hair in place, pencil-thin mustache, and an air of dignity and power. The pastor said, wow, Holy Spirit, is that what you would look like? And the Holy Spirit said, yes, that's what I would look like. Well, this pastor had a staff of 70 people, so the next day he called all his staff together. He says, I got this revelation last night. I got to tell you, I asked God, I asked the Holy Spirit, what would he look like if he took on human form? And he gives him this explanation. Well, his staff looked at him as like he flipped out and said like, huh? Like, huh? And they all started laughing and they got up and left after the meeting was over. So he went back to the Holy Spirit. And he said, Holy Spirit, when I shared this, he says, this incredible revelation that you gave me, I can't explain to you what their faces look like. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. And the Holy Spirit laughed. How many of us know the Holy Spirit can laugh? If we can grieve him, he can laugh. The Holy Spirit laughed and he said, because that's the way you would like me to look. I don't come to them in a black tuxedo because that's not the way they expect me to look. They want to see me in another way. Here's what we've got to understand through all this. Just about the time we think we've seen him in every way we can see him, huh? as the mother, as the comforter, as the Lord of hosts, he's going to show himself another way. You know why? Every day you wake up, you have a different need. You may wake up and maybe your need is in the area of healing. But in that area of healing, one day you may wake up and have a backache, have a hip ache, have a headache, a neck ache. And he's going to reveal himself in a different way. You may wake up and have a problem with your finances. And guess what? In your finances, maybe you can't pay your electric bill. You can't pay your phone bill. You can't pay this bill, the car bill. Guess what? They're all different needs in all different categories. And just like a diamond has all different facets, the Holy Spirit will never take on the same form because it's all depending on the need you face at the time of need. Do you see that? You cannot tell him when to speak, when to lead, when to encourage, to guide, to strengthen, or lead, or teach. Listen to this principle. What you honor will always move towards you. What you dishonor will always move away. 
We cannot dishonor the Holy Spirit. We need to honor the Holy Spirit if we want him in our life. We have to acknowledge him. We have to speak to him. We have to talk to him. He is the only hope we have living in the hour we're living in. When we dishonor the Holy Spirit, we not only grieve him, he's in us, but that relationship is short-circuited. It's kind of like a married couple in strife, living in the same house. The example I'm using with Pastor Wayne. We're living in the same house. If we're out of fellowship, we have short-circuited relationship. I'm sorry, fellowship. You see the picture? We cannot dishonor the Holy Spirit. He is not our junior partner. He is our administrator. He's not somebody we can just say, hey, you know what, do this. No, he tells us what to do. But he'll never force us because we have a free will. How many of us want to make him the administrator of our life? We need to say, get to know the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has one need. The Holy Spirit has one need. How many of us know we have many needs? Do you ever have a friend that's like a needy friend? Well, they, they're always needing something. I need you to talk to me. I need you to pray for me. I need this. I need that. Do you ever get to the point where you just want to say, you know what? Talk to God. Huh? Though we should be there one for another. But when you see those kind of needy people, you need to really direct them and say, you need to talk to God. You need to let him be your administrator. <coughs> the Holy Spirit, though, has one need. People need to be loved. They need to be affirmed, encouraged, fulfilled, talked to, not talked to. How many times you don't want to be talked to? Huh? Do you ever get to a point like you hear somebody's voice so much you just want to say, shut up? Huh? Thank God the Holy Spirit don't tell us to shut up. Though we say that to many people many times, the Holy Spirit has only one need. You know what his need is? To be believed. That's his only need, to be believed. What this word says, he says, believe it, and I'll bring it to pass in your life. If it says by his stripes you are healed, believe it. That's all I need you to do. Believe it. If he says I'll provide all your needs, guess what? Believe it. He'll bring it to pass. But we want to be his junior partner. So you said that. Okay, you're going to supply all my needs. ding a ling ling hello, can you help me? That doesn't mean become a bum, but it means there comes a point in time where you've got to just trust him because the word says, when having done all, stand. When you've done everything you can do, stand. When you don't want to hear any more of it, stand. When you get weary and thinking it's never going to happen, stand. His only need, believe him. Believe him. To be believed. The Holy Spirit is the easiest relationship you will ever have to work with. In friends, in a marriage, do you know it's like muscles? You've got to work at it. You have to work at it. You want to be friends with people? You've got to be someone that works at the friendship. If you're always taking from someone as in a friendship, guess what? That's not a friend. That's a taker. Friendship and marriage is a two-way street. It's a covenant. Everything I have, I give to you. Everything you have, you give to me. We work together. We work together. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit is the easiest relationship to live your life and maintain. All you have to do is come boldly into his presence. Now, here's why that relationship is so easy to maintain. He already knows everything about you. 
He knows everything. He knows how you think. He knows how you're going to react. He knows everything about you. Nothing's hidden in his sight. Any fire needs more fuel. And the one who has to fuel it is the one who wants the fire to increase. If you don't want the fire to increase, the fire is going to go out. If you look at your Christianity with a complacent attitude, that means you're not fueling your fire. And that's why you have to repent. You have to change your ways. Now what's interesting is that he goes on to say this. He says, To him that overcometh will I sit with me, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also, say also, overcame and sit down with my father in his throne. Now, what that's saying is, is that Jesus had to fight this just like you got to fight it. Sometimes we forget that Jesus was in his humanity had to fight through circumstances and situations. And let's look at that done touch, talking about this entire story about Paul and his third missionary journey and how he was worn out and he was tired and yet he wanted to go back to the holy city. Why? Because in him he felt like there's where God is. He was forgetting what he knew to be the truth. God was not in Jerusalem. God was in his heart. Right where he was at. He didn't have to get on no boat, go nowhere. He had God with him. And he came to realization of that after he was imprisoned in Rome and wrote letters about it. We don't have to go through these things. We don't have to let the fire go out. We need to keep fueling the fire every day. Jesus had to go through this. When you, when you look at the Garden of Gethsemane and what he had to go through there, you'll find that's where the victory was won. It was not won on the cross for Jesus. For Jesus, the victory was won in the Garden. The cross is where we look to, where he bought and paid for our right for Christianity. But he won the victory and put fuel to the fire there in the garden. Sometimes you've got to pray and you've got to open up your heart before the Lord and get alone with God and just simply get real with God and ask God, say, Lord, I want the fire. I need your fire. I need to be hot with the fire of God. Now, in your evaluation of your life, I'm only asking you this. If you think your fire is out, I want you to come up front right now. If you think your fire has dwindled and gotten less than what it used to be, I want you to come front to the altar right now. No matter where you see yourself right now, unless you are literally hot, burning up with the flames of God, I want you to come the altar of God. I had one woman, she says, I feel I'm a hot Pastor Wayne, but I just want it to be hotter. I says, well then come to the altar and we'll get hotter. Alright? <laughs> God wants us in the days that we're living, on, living in, on fire for Jesus Christ. And I believe that every last one of us want, want that. We really do. And after all the things we've said here today, we can, we can see that Many times, circumstances just simply get us down. We need to repent. We need to repent and not let God, not let God down no more. Not let ourselves down. Let the fire begin to burn. I want to just say this to you. I said this in the first service, and I feel we need to say it again in this service. 
One of the greatest weapons that the enemy uses is a spirit of offense. Someone does something, acts, reacts the way that you just feel hurt, you know, you didn't like it, mm-hmm. you didn't understand it, let it go. Amen. Look at each other. Anybody hear God? <laughs> Not yet, no. Huh? We're human. Amen. People are going to hurt you. People are not going to understand you. People say to me and Pastor Wayne all the time, and I'm just being so blatant honest with you here. When we look at different people that have come to church, nobody is perfect. And they will use you and they will abuse you so many times. And we have people, you know, in the church will say, how could you put up with that? How could you deal with that person? You know what? If God does and so must I. Amen. And I'm telling you the same thing. We have to grow up to a point where when people do things that hurt us, don't take it to heart. You can't take it to heart. It will steal your fire. It will steal your fire. If you look back and try to examine and say, Holy Spirit, show me where I lost the fire. Nine times out of ten, you're going to see something. Offense set in your heart. They didn't use me. They didn't recognize my gift. They don't understand. This person didn't say hello. This person said the wrong thing. They hurt my feelings. I'm telling you, it's not worth it. Jesus on the cross said something. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They knew what they did. I'm telling you, whether they knew it or not, you be the better person. Don't pick up their offense, and God will honor the fire. Amen. Amen. Go ahead. A few weeks ago, I was pulling weeds outside, and when I pulled the first weed, uh, the Lord started talking to me, and it was so real that I actually turned around to see if there was somebody there. But he, he preached to me the whole time that I was out there, and a couple of points I want to share. When I pulled up the small weeds, they came up very easily. They just pulled right out of the ground. Some of the bigger weeds um, had deep roots, and I actually had to use like a little shovel to to get them out. Some of the some of the roots went sideways. And what he pointed out to me was he said the sin in your life is like those weeds. He said if you take care of those sins immediately, you do something, come to me, run to me immediately, and we'll get rid of it. It's easy. Yeah. He said, but if you try to hide and think I don't notice, not only you you just the ground gets disturbed. We get disturbed when we know that there's sin in our life and we really don't want to let it go or we're having a hard time letting it go, whatever the situation, it goes deeper and deeper. But what he, what he showed me as I got those deep weeds out, I was making a mess of the mulch and the dirt and the dirt was coming up on top of the mulch and I had a lot of extra work to do to fix it. And he said, Linda, you are to that garden the way I am to your life. And I knew immediately what he meant when he said that. I wasn't making a mess of the garden to make the garden worse. Mm. I wanted that garden to look beautiful. Mm. 
And he said, when I encourage you to dig up that sin out of your life, it's not because I'm mad at you or angry or that I don't love you. I love you, and I want your life to be more beautiful. Amen. 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 Very, very good. Very good. Amen. Let's lift our hands to him. Father, before we place oil on the head, we just thank you. Thank you for that unconditional love. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you, Father God, every one of us. Every one of us need to see the love you have. Amen. No strings attached. Amen. Unconditional you, love. You are everything for us. You are everything to us. You are the great I am. Thank you, Thank you Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We just stand <coughs> in your presence. Thank you, Lord. See, he's lighting a fire. It's a test. It's a test. How long can we stand here in the presence of God? Just let him minister to every heart. Thank you, Lord. Thank you what you're doing in hearts right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Do you see how God has everything under control? Amen. Get to know the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be Amen. led by the Spirit. Amen. And today, I'm telling you today, you're going to start seeing things change in your life. He's in here. He's in here. He's in here. Be led by the Holy Spirit. It's your sixth sense. You got it? Do you, you get it? If you got it, you pick up your head. I'm telling you, when we put this oil on you, you are not staying the same. Amen. Amen. See what's happening here? It's 1223. You're probably hungry, tired, maybe have no life, nowhere to go, and you're saying, thank God the service is going wrong. <laughs> when we expect the Holy Spirit to move, we don't know what's going to happen. And if he says we're going to stay here standing at this altar till 4 o'clock, he'll give you the strength to do it. <coughs> don't get nervous. I did not hear that. <laughs> if we get to know the Holy Spirit, yeah. nothing will be a burden. Amen. Because He's the administrator. Yes. He's not my junior Sorry. partner. You bow your heads. I'm going to pray for you, and all you have to do is repeat after me. Jesus wants to be a part of your life, and if you don't know Christ as your Savior and Lord today, then all you have to do is just proclaim this, and out of your heart, speak it with your mouth and you'll be saved today. If you've already done that, there ain't nothing wrong with saying it again. It's a qualification of what you already know to be the truth. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. He died for me, went to hell in my place. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. He is the Savior of the world and of my life. I receive you, Lord. Accept you as my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody say that for the first time? Put your hand up. We're all saved, children. Hey, praise the Lord. Glory to God. <laughs> you know what? Uh, an acknowledgement of that fact, you know what? What it basically was doing is this. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me on earth, 
then I'll be ashamed of you and my Father in heaven. When you raise your hand, basically saying, you know what? Those are my kids. That's like Jesus saying, oh, see those two of them? They're my children. So he wants the rest of us to say, no, look everybody up, look at that. Look at this, two more. See this? <laughs> You're part of the family of God. Don't ever let the devil tell you anything different. You're a child of God from this point on. That's it. You can know with a surety. God speaking can speak to you. Give them revelation too, isn't that right? Boy, there's nothing like seeing someone receive Christ as Savior. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you said the prayer of Pastor Wayne today, then you are a saved child of God. Let us know by going on our website, john316cc.org, and click on the contact page. We would like to send you a free gift. You can also watch our videos on youtube.com backslash john316ccweb. For more information about our church, John 316 Christian Center, or if you have a prayer request, you can call us at area code 845-677-0625, or visit us on the web at john316cc.org. Until next time, continue to build your faith in God's holy word.